Picture with me in your mind this scene from history. It's a cloudy day during World War II. It's in Poland at a Nazi concentration camp. And the young boy has just been hung by a rope around his neck and he's died. Hitler's solution to the so-called Jewish problem. And one of the men in the crowd, silently staring at the boy's lifeless body, asks a question. If there is a God, where is he? Where is God? Today, in the hospitals and the AIDS wards and the cancer wings, you can hear this question repeated as well. Where's the God you serve? If he's really good, why doesn't he do something? Some of you may remember a few years back the graveyard scene in the movie Steel Magnolia where Sally Fields describes her pain as she deals with the death of her daughter. And anyone emotionally alive uh, can feel some of what she experienced when she said, Why? I just want to know why. My daughter is dead and her son will never know how wonderful she was. Why? Have you ever felt that way? Where is God when you feel pain so deeply in this world? The answer to this question is determined by the relationship you have with God when the pain comes and during the pain. Many people talk about a God who is not the God of the Bible, and so he offers no help in these situations. The God of the Bible, the creator who is sovereign, Lord, king, holy, just, and good, loving what is right and hating what is evil, is the one we find in Holy Scripture. The people in Judah are asking this question too. When is God going to help? When is he going to step in? When is he going to deal with sin on earth? When will we see justice reign? And Malachi answers this question for us. Turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. And we're just going to look at a little bit of that and and the first few verses of chapter 3. Well, Malachi writes these words. The returned Jewish exiles are back in Jerusalem. The 70-year captivity is over. They have rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls. And a number of the houses. Yet again, they have forsaken God and his word. And so God raises up Malachi to speak to them because his Messiah is coming and this people need to remain in the land for the covenant promises to be fulfilled. So Malachi challenges them to return to covenant faithfulness as an enforcer of the covenant. And his ministry is a success. This book has 11 debates between the people of Judah and God. We've looked at the first six over the last couple of years. We've looked at about denying God's love in chapter 1, about honoring and glorifying God, about defilement of God's name and his worship regulations, about covenant unfaithfulness, about unanswered prayer, about trying God's patience with accusations, about divine justice is what we're going to look at today. And then coming up is about repentance about worship, giving, and robbery, about arrogant and unsubmissive charges against God, and then finally about serving God. So this is debate number seven about divine justice. Where is the God of justice? In debate six, God reminded them that he's not pleased with their false accusations against him. They were denying his righteousness and his holiness. They were denying that God was dealing just in the affairs of men. They were denying God's power, his sovereignty, and his knowledge. And they're still falsely accusing God in debate number seven. Malachi 
through the aid of the Holy Spirit, knows what they're thinking. And he's saying and putting these thoughts into words and then giving God's remedy for uh, this bad thought life. Most of you realize that we're living in a world that's cursed because of the fall into sin brought on by Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden. And thus, bad things do and will happen to us. When these things happen, we are tempted to blame God when our forefathers are at fault, as well as we. Adam and those connected to him are fully responsible for the curse placed on the earth and on the animals and on humans. God is actually the solution to our problem, and we are the guilty ones. We need to realize that blaming and distancing ourselves from God makes the problem worse instead of the problem being better. In answer to their question, where's the God of justice? Malachi predicts the divine Messiah and his messenger are coming to Judah to bring justice. Please stand with me as we read Malachi 2.17 and 3, 1 through 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask as we look at your word today through your prophet Malachi that you'd open our hearts to see your power, your forerunner of Jesus, John, and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll continue to draw us into his fellowship, into a people that love him and serve him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The divine Messiah and his messenger are coming to earth to bring justice, Malachi reminds the people. In this text, we're going to meet three persons that are concerned with justice on the earth. The first person we meet who is concerned with justice on the earth is Yahweh of armies who sends the deliverer in verse 17 and in 3, 1. The last question in 17, where is the God of justice? And Malachi answers, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The hard-hearted people are still debating with God, and they're still asking unbelieving, skeptical questions of God. These are the wrong questions asked with the wrong attitude. Where is the God of justice? The people in their mind think, you know, we're more righteous than these Persians. God, you failed us. You've not come down to judge our enemies who are big sinners. We like full political freedom. We'd like you to come get the Persians, and we want you to come get them right now. God, you are failing us. Where is God when we need him? God has abandoned us. The problem with this people is that their attitude and accusations are sinful. Paul deals with another set of Jews in Romans 9, asking similar questions. And his words are helpful for us today as we study this text in Malachi. Romans 9.10, Paul says, 
And not only that, but Rebekah received a promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor, Isaac. For though her sons had not yet been born or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. Don't ever say that. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or human effort, but on God who shows mercy. The scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I might display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he shows mercy to whom he wants to, and he hardens those whom he wants to. You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist God's will? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? God is the potter. We are the clay. And so when we join the attitude of the Jews in Judah in Malachi's day, we've actually distanced ourselves from the very one who loves us and longs to help us. Some questions small men with small minds have no right to ask. Challenging the sovereign creator God is sin. Job learned this in chapters 38 through 40, where God rehearsed with him in very poetic language. Where were you when I created everything? Where were you when I set the sea in place, when I set these stars in place? I I don't remember asking you for directions on making the Big Dipper. Where were you, Job, when I did all these things? How much have you or I helped to sustain the universe each day? Who told you or me that the world revolved around us? Whoever told us that, they lied to us. You and I are not the center of the universe. And you're not powerful enough to discover or smart enough to explain all the ways and all the plans of our magnificent God. These men in Judah assume that because God delayed his justice, he just doesn't care. So they falsely claim, therefore, he's not good. They didn't realize that he was giving them and their children time to repent. He is loving as well as just. He is merciful as well as just. The standard of justice is God and his character. Fallen human opinions or assumptions and conjectures are not the standard of what is truly just in this universe. Of course God is just. He is the definition of justice. You have to be humble enough to accept this truth, though. Depraved human views of fairness are not the standard by which God is to be evaluated. The Word of God is the standard by which you and I will be evaluated by the God who created all. We are the creatures. He is the Creator. You and I are fallen. He is holy. You and I are not wise, and He is all wise. Our reason is fallen, cannot be trusted, unaided without the Holy Spirit and the written Word of God. So where is God when we need Him? He's available to the repentant. He's one prayer away. Where is the God of justice? My enemies are prospering. 
Where is this God of justice? The answer is in chapters 3, 1 through 5. Malachi says to these Jews around 430 B.C. that the Messiah is coming. You want to see the God of justice? Okay, I'm sending him. When Jesus comes, you will see face to face the God of justice. The Messiah Yeshua is Yahweh, and he also has the title of Emmanuel, God with us. To this new covenant people, the church, the answer to where is God and where is his coming is told by Peter in 2 Peter 3. He says, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not desiring any to perish, but to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and works on it will be laid bare by fire. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it's clear what sort of people you are to be in all holy conduct and godliness. God is coming, but you're not going to like his coming if you're not rightly related to him. Amos 5.18 told the Jews this same thing. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Amos asked. It's a day of darkness for you and not of light. It's a day when God will expose your sin and your hypocrisy. And even the forerunner, John the Baptist, is going to expose sin. He's coming and he will be followed by a severe judgment on the nation. So the question, where is the God of justice, is answered none other than Yahweh of armies, God the Father in this verse. This is the, one, the first person we meet in our text. What does a rebel normally do when their sin is exposed? Usually if you're sharing your faith, you may see them start to bristle, and then this is question's going to come up. Well, what about the tribes who have never heard? What about those over there? How can God be just? God doesn't meet my standard of fairness. Why should I repent? Why should I surrender to him? Judgment day is coming when the wicked will be in silence and see the justice of God. But on that day, it will be too late to repent. No sane person today wants full justice. Full justice means you will have to pay for your sin forever and ever in the lake of fire. You need to beg for mercy and grace. You need forgiveness and love. How did this people treat the God of justice? The very descendants of these Jews Malachi is speaking to cried out for the Romans to crucify him, and they mocked God on the cross. That's how they treated the God of justice. When Malachi's people asked God to come quickly and judge the wicked, they forgot one very important thing. They were wicked too. And so if he gets them, he gets me. It's not a good deal. But that's what they were asking for, to come quickly and judge the wicked. God was patient with them. He did not come until 70 AD to judge the Jews, 500 years after Malachi's warning. That's pretty sufficient evidence of patience. And he didn't judge the Persians on the day that they cried out uh, for him to do so. He judged the Jews on 70 AD and that coming day uh, for the Jews of, of Malachi's day. These people crying out for justice had their own descendants die in the siege and destruction of the city. God did allow the Greeks to bring justice to the Persian, and he allowed the Romans to bring justice to the Greeks and the barbarians to bring justice to the Romans. 
But these people should have been calling out for mercy for themselves and for their children and their children's children, not asking God to judge the wicked, because they asked him to put themselves in his crosshairs. They were wicked. And so if God judges the the wicked, they will get it too. God's patience has a limit. And so that's why the Bible reminds us from Genesis to Revelation that we need to repent while there's still time. Asaph in Psalm 73 really struggled with seeing the prosperity of all these wicked around him and then the servants of God having things so difficult. So he goes to the place where the word of God was, the temple, and then he realized that it was foolish for him to be envious of the wicked because they die quickly and they go to the lake of fire. He should not envy them when they had such a few easy years on earth. God's patient mercy that they received on earth is all they get for all eternity. They will get justice one day. It's only by faith and repentance that we embrace the Messiah, Jesus. And we get united with him in a covenant relationship we learn that God transferred our sin to Jesus and his wrath fell on him in our place. And at the cross, the mercy and justice of God meet and are perfectly met and fulfill God's nature in its fullness in redeeming us as a people. When we are declared righteous after we place faith in Jesus, his righteous acts are credited to our account. So then we are no longer part of the wicked that fear his coming day of wrath. But our new hearts and new loves include a concern for those that are under God's wrath. And so once we come to him, we're still not like these folks in Judah, saying, God, get the wicked. No, we have compassion on them. So instead of pleading with God to judge them, we plead with God to save them. Stephen even prayed for the one stoning him, and God did answer that prayer and save the Apostle Paul out of the group that was stoning him to death. The second person we meet in this text who is concerned with justice on the earth is Yohanan, the Messiah's announcer who prepares the deliverer. Look at 3, chapter 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. John the Baptist is the messenger who prepares the way for the coming Messiah. John prepares the people by preaching repentance for sin against God. And there's no guesswork. Uh, who this first messenger is. All four of the Gospels tell us plainly. Mark says this, as Mark quotes Malachi, along with a, a parallel verse in Isaiah 40, he tells us that it's Yeshua's cousin, Yohanan, John the baptizer. Listen to Mark 1, 2. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Mark identifies the first messenger as John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the last Old Covenant prophet, as do the three other gospel writers. In Luke, we see in Luke 167, John's father, Zechariah, is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. In chapter 3 of Luke, it says in verse 2, During the high priest of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the regions around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Even Jesus himself in Luke 7 asked, what then did you go out in the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you far more than a prophet. This is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, those born among women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Matthew 3, which I read a small section of earlier, is all, the whole chapter is all about John the Baptist and shows him to be the forerunner of the Messiah. John the Apostle writes in chapter 1 of his of his gospel, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John the baptizer testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. This is John the Baptist's testimony when the Jews came and sent priests and Levites to him. Who are you, John? He didn't refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. Who are you? Then they asked, what can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. And so the wonderful commentary on the Old Testament, the New Testament, makes it clear that John the baptizer is the messenger sent by Yahweh to prepare the way for the Messiah by preaching repentance. The first messenger's task is to bear a message and to prepare the way and the hearts of the people for this coming Messiah. How did he do that? By exposing their sin, by preaching the law, so they would know how desperately they needed a Savior, how desperately they needed a Deliverer. Then he told them to repent and trust in the Deliverer that was about to be revealed. They would need to totally surrender to him. He would totally rearrange their lives. John sought to remove all trust in self-righteousness, all proud dependence on one's own goodness, all unbelief and doubt, all self-will and self-trust. The truth is, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. God is one in being and three in persons. And he's totally righteous and he's completely different from us. He has revealed his will for mankind in the Bible, especially his moral law, which he requires perfect obedience to. God does not grade on the curb. He only accepts the grade of 100. Grace teaches us, though, that heaven is a place of peace and rest for those who have died, and it's not earned or deserved by anyone. Because man is a sinner, a lawbreaker, and has earned punishment in the lake of fire by his rebellion against God. And so... This brings us to the very nature of God. He's holy and just, as Malachi holds up before us. He is a just God, and he must punish each and every sin. But on the other hand, we learn in the Bible, he's also loving and merciful and desires to rescue us. So man as a rebel, God as a lover of his creation, there's a dilemma there, and that's answered by the Messiah. The God-man who came to earth, who lived a holy life in our place, who died in our place, and he offers heaven as a free gift. How do I embrace this Jesus? How do I take a hold of this free gift? By repentance, by completely turning from selfishness and sin unto God in his way, into his word, and by faith, 
by totally trusting in Jesus only to pay for our sins and make us right with God the Father. And these two come together, repentance and faith, when we surrender to his lordship and call him our God and our Lord and obey him. When Jesus asked, who did you go out to see in the wilderness? Did you go out to see a guy in a three-piece suit with a top hat on? No. You saw a prophet and a camel hair tunic, but much more than a prophet. A prophet under the Mosaic administration that helped inaugurate the Messiah's new covenant administration. Repent, John says, for the kingdom of God is right here now because the king is right here now. Jesus is here. So John stands in the day between the two covenants, and he was more than a prophet indeed. Friend, if you review just the past couple of days, you'd have to honestly admit that you've not kept God's law. You also desperately need a Savior. You also need the gospel of Christ. You need the Messiah to deliver you from sin's power, its control, and its everlasting punishment, as well as your heart's love for sin. Only he can deliver you from that. The third person and last person we meet in this text who's concerned with justice on the earth is Yeshua, the divine Messiah who comes to deliver. Verses, the last part of verse 1 and the first part of 2. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? So not only... Do we meet Yahweh, the Lord of, the, of hosts of armies who sins the deliverer, and Yohanan, the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, but we meet Jesus himself as the messenger of the covenant. What is a covenant? It's a solemn and lasting agreement that establishes and governs a relationship. It often has long-lasting promises that are granted based on obedience to the covenant stipulations. It's something that's sovereignly administered a careful agreement and has a conditional part and an unconditional part. Loyalty and faithfulness are vital to keeping covenant agreements. A messenger is one who brings a revelation, explanation, the word of God. And so Jesus is the Lord whom you seek. He is the master. He is the divine person. This person is fully divine and bears all the names of God. But the first group in Malachi, in this context, is only seeking out a messenger for prosperity and political salvation. And so to them, Malachi is speaking sarcastically. Where's the God of justice? This one you're supposedly seeking for all the wrong reasons is coming anyway. But there's a second group he's addressing, as you read into chapter 3. He calls them his precious stones. The second group, the remnant, is really seeking God and really seeking his Messiah. For these, the promise will be fulfilled, and they will delight in his coming. Malachi tells us that Jesus will unexpectedly come to his temple. At 40 days old, Mary and Joseph march in the temple with Jesus, and Simon and Anna meet him. It was a surprise that he was coming on that day to them. Then at 12, he goes back to the temple and he's discussing with the rabbis what the Old Testament teaches. And then twice, at the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, it was a big surprise to have Jesus come and turn the money tables changers over and run out the sheep where he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry and at the end. 
he unexpectedly came to his temple a number of times. Is it reasonable to believe that Malachi is talking about Jesus? Yes, the other prophets did the same. Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. Jeremiah says, The days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. Well, I will raise up a righteous branch of David, son of David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is what he will be named, Yahweh, our righteousness. In Hebrews 9, the author tells us how this came about. He says, but the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's made without hands. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained everlasting redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled on those who were defiled set them apart for purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore the Messiah is the mediator of a new covenant, so those who are called might receive the promise of everlasting inheritance because the death has taken place for redemption and the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What was still future in 433 B.C. is history for us in 2011. What will you do with the knowledge that Jesus is fully God? He's the Messiah, he's the divine Son of God, and he's the only deliverer. Surrender to him. Flee the wrath that's to come on sin and sinners. There's no other way. There's no safe place except under the rule and reign of Jesus the Messiah that Malachi told the people so long ago was coming. On the National Geographic Channel two weeks ago, they showed a kayak team that was going through an area where there were rough rapids. And the first kayaker's name was Paul. And he knew that he had a small section of this rapid as he came down over the hill that if he didn't get in the right place that the undertow uh, was insurmountable. And they had the cameras set up at a distance away but they had no cables, they had no safety gear at all and his friends were there waiting and watching and they saw Paul go below the water and never return again. His body still has not been found. The next four whose turn it was decided it was probably not a good idea to go that because there's no deliverer. There's no safety. And on judgment day, you don't, you want to escape God's wrath against sin on your own. You, like Paul, need a deliverer on that day. The Holy Spirit is a primary agent leading a prophet uh, when he preaches and when he writes. And so actually, because of that, we have the whole trinity in this text of Malachi. God the Father sends the deliverer, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit announces deliverer through the prophet John. Repent, the king is here. And God the Son comes as a deliverer, both in his first coming and his second coming, which is yet to come. His first coming paid for his people's sin, bought a people to glorify the Father in spirit and in truth. Love and justice meet at the cross in front of a skull-like hill in Golgotha at the base of Mount Moriah along the Damascus Road in Jerusalem. 
Right now, there's an Arab bus station that sits on the very spot where Jesus paid for sin and sinners. His second coming will also be concerned with justice and deliverance, but also with wrath and judgment. Where is the God of justice? Right now, he is only a prayer away. One day, though, it will be too late to repent. This is the day to make that prayer. Walk by faith, Christian friend, not by sight. Trust the triune God who alone delivers from the penalty and power and love of sin. Rather than blame the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the consequences of man's rebellion on the universe, surrender to him. Come to him in faith. Come to God on his terms of faith and repentance, and he will be with you in the midst of the storms and the difficulties of life and will fulfill his promise, I will never, ever, ever forsake you or leave you. Friend, fix your gaze upon Yeshua, Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Love him. Trust him. Worship him. Serve him. Glorify him by carrying his gospel to the nations in obedience to his command. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for, even through the prophets of old, telling us about your wonderful Son. Oh, how glorious is the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Redeemer, who bought us with his own blood. May we serve him, may we love him, may we tell others to flee from the wrath to come, and may we have a burden for them to see them not get justice, but to get mercy and grace. Continue to work in our hearts as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into the invitation time, as God deals with you, you talk with him. If you need to repent and believe, today's a perfect time to do that because this is not the day of judgment. Then it'll be too late. And if you're willing to commit your life to share diligently with those around you, you can pray right where you are and renew your commitment and trust.